I'm kicking off this year's Dream Emmy podcast series with the co-creator, exec producer, and star of my latest obsession, Schitt's Creek. Welcome, Dan Levy. Hi. Thanks for being here. It's such a pleasure. Um, I am so, I owe you an apology. For what? The show has been on for four seasons and I'm only now <laughs> discovering it. And I cover television for a living. Listen. I knew it existed. Uh-huh. I knew it existed. I wrote about this on TV line. I, I knew, I knew. You were aware. I was aware. Which is a, which is a step. It is, but not a big enough step. Cause now I finally, after binging all four seasons in a matter of weeks, I, I am filled with a, a deep sense of regret. <laughs> that it has taken me this long um, because I would have been singing the show's praises, you know, from the rooftops. That's very nice. Um, and I'm curious, do you find that people are slow to come to it uh, or they're catching up on Netflix and they're like, holy shit? Yeah. I mean, I think anytime you're putting out a show uh, that is a smaller show on a smaller network, that doesn't necessarily have the means to do a huge widespread release. You have to bank on word of mouth. You have to bank on consistency. You have to hopefully bank on quality because one of the great things about being on a cable network is that you have the freedom to tell the stories that you want to tell, but it requires time. And we have fortunately been supported in terms of continuing to be able to tell the stories and it's only after a season after a couple seasons that you start to people start to catch on and word of mouth starts to spread and um i think netflix helped a lot too once it got on netflix and people were able to binge it binge the first two seasons we saw even more growth because you're reaching a wider market than ever before um you know i also think we're a show that's that at, at its core is about people discovering what love is. And I, I don't want to say necessarily that it's, you know, coming at a needed time in terms no, of- I'll say it, it's coming at a fucking <laughs> needed time. But it is a light show. It is a show about growth and people realizing that, you know, materialism isn't necessarily going to make you happy in the long run. And I think the fact that we are in a political crisis at this point mm-hmm. and people are looking for kinder gentler opportunities to you know or, or ways to make themselves feel good it seems more and more in terms of the feedback that it went from oh this is a funny show to oh i need this show yeah. and that is such a wonderful fulfilling i mean it's scary given the political climate yeah but it's a wonderful thing to know that people are tuning in as a way to bring some light into their weekly routines. So the the it, the show is so funny. It, 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 the Thanks. performances, the, the comic timing, the writing, it's all so great. What really surprised me was the heart that, and it, you really feel this in season four. Like I feel like it really comes to a four where, where this family really genuinely loves each other. And, mm-hmm. and it just, I love these characters so much. I root for them so much. And what's crazy, because they they lived such privileged lives on paper, it would seem like, why would you give a shit about this family? And mm-hmm. I genuinely care about them so much. I'm, I want to talk to you about season four specifically. And it feels like this was the season they officially became residents of Schitt's Creek. Yes. And my question for you is, any concern about losing the fish out of water aspect of the show, the more they get 
sort of ingrained in this town and become the fa- you know part of the fabric? No, only because I know how it ends. So it's a very I know what the stories we're telling. I know the chapters that need to be put in place in order to set up everything that happens. Yeah. So you know, for us, I think the great thing about the the family is that you have four different people who have four different outlooks on life. You have ranging from Moira, who will never want to be part of this town. She will always be looking for a way out. She will tolerate these people. She will tolerate and sort of lean into some of the experiences that she gets roped into. Mm-hmm. But if given the lifeline, she's freaking out of there sooner yeah. than you know you could snap. Then you have David, who's like sort of just ahead of Moira in terms of thinking like, I have a boyfriend now, things could be much worse. Do I love store. There's a store. We're selling things that are kind of on brand for him. He's <laughs> surrounding himself with beauty in a in sort of a town that doesn't get it. So he's slowly sort of turning a leaf in terms of being able to tolerate his surroundings. And then I think you have Johnny who's trying to make the most of he's trying to start a business again and get his sort of bearings in a new capacity and, and try and build his business back. And then, you know. Alexis, who has always been very adaptive to whatever situation she's been thrown into, and I think she's the one who really could be could be fine anywhere. Mm-hmm. And she's sort of found love now, and so there is a sort of sense of calm um, that's settled on the family. But like the crisis I, has passed. Part of it. The crisis has passed. has passed. I don't want to say that it has passed forever. Yeah. But for now, I think they're feeling okay. And I think they deserve that. Yeah. So you mentioned that you have a plan for the show. Like how many seasons is that plan? Uh, or does it have a number? Well, we're shooting season five right, right now. I can't discuss much beyond it. Um, I hope that we get to finish just the, telling the rest of the story. Okay. Is all I, will, all I can say at this point, can for you, sure. Can you say that season five is not, was not the end though? Like it would go I beyond that? I hope season five is not the okay. end. Okay, all right. Yeah. Because it's setting up something. It's There's some stuff. There's some more stories to tell for sure. Yeah. So you created the show with your dad. Yes. Eugene Levy. Yeah. Um, how did this idea come up? Uh, I had been tossing around some ideas uh, for TV. And this was about six and a half years ago now. And it was sort of in the, I don't want to say like the advent of The Real Housewives or Kardashians, but it was definitely they were hitting their stride in in sort of both of their spheres. And I was watching these shows that you can't help but sort of get caught up in. And it was, I think the Kardashians, there's more love in that family than sort of the housewives, which tends to lean more on the drama. But the the sort of common thread was excess. Mm-hmm. Excess all around you, you know, solving problems with money, buying cars, going on trips, doing all of these things that very privileged families can throw at each other to sort of remedy whatever crisis comes up in, in their lives. And something about the idea of stripping the wealth away from these families and sort of leaving them raw to deal with their lives, what would that look like? Would they still have the kind of priorities that they had when they had their money? That, that became the nugget of what I wanted to explore, sort of a fish out of water family dynamic about what is at the core of, of family. When you remove the money, do the problems get solved just as quickly? Mm-hmm. Or do you have to address more emotional issues that are sort of bubbling under the surface? And uh, 
I didn't want it to be a sitcom sitcom. I wanted it to have a, a slightly more cable sensibility in terms of the comedy. And that's when I went to my dad, who had been writing with Christopher Guest all these years and making such special sort of comedy gems with him. And I thought this scenario, I think, could really use that kind of sensibility. A comedy that is rooted in uh, reality, rooted in characters that as, as wild and crazy as they are, come from something truthful. Um, and we started to talk about this idea and very quickly the idea became something. We were researching how people lose money fast and stumbled across, which is Bernie made a bit of a bleak sort of <laughs> Google search. Yes. Um, but I stumbled across this article uh, about Kim Basinger, who oh. way back when had bought a town in Georgia, I believe. Mm -hmm. I remember and it said. did, and from a, for a business venture, I think it was to be like a location for film and television or something, and didn't go to plan and was sort of like, you know, a financial catastrophe. And we thought, well, what if this family had bought a town as like a birthday present or something sort of very on a whim and it became the only thing in their portfolio that the government didn't see any value in repossessing. And they had to move back to this town or or to the town for the first time and, and live there. And that really became, that was when we said, okay, I think we have a premise here. Um, and started to flesh out the characters and, and slowly but surely a show came together. Was Catherine O'Hara always gonna be Moira? We did a presentation pilot, uh, 15 minutes. We asked Catherine to do it. She didn't want to do TV. And we sort of said, okay, well, would you do like, it's just a 15 minute presentation, but there's no, we don't need, you it's know. It's not gonna go anywhere. We don't like it, it's fine. It's gonna be thrown in a garbage, it'll be nothing. So we shot the presentation pilot, she did it, was great. The character was very different than what we now know as Moira. Um, and when the show got picked up, it was one of those conversations where my dad and I were like, do you want to call it? Should I call it? Who should call it? <laughs> and slowly but surely we chipped away and said, well, you know what? It's one season. If you don't like it after one season, you can, you know, and, and understandably so. It's a, it, TV is a commitment. Yeah. Um, especially considering I was very new. I had no show running experience and I was sort of at the forefront of running this new show. And there was a lot of question marks about what this show would be. So I completely understand the trepidation. I would probably have the same kind. So she finally agreed to one season and we shot that season and it became clear, I think from the pilot, that the characters were fully formed and the actors that we had hired, everyone just sort of slipped into these people and created this world almost instantaneously. I mean, I think in a lot of TV shows, um, when if you've given been given that kind of time, you notice that characters change and things to adjust to either test audiences not liking yeah. someone being mean, or you know, uh, the writers' room not really having a grasp on what this character, what kind of purpose this character is going to serve. From the very beginning of the show, I think we've been very lucky in the sense that our cast just embodied these people in ways that worked right off the bat. Mm -hmm. And there hasn't been that much change in terms of character. There's been growth, but not change. And it's, you know, it was, it's circumstance, it's luck, it's casting. And I think that's ultimately what goes into making a show that lives beyond its first season. It's so much, everything has to come together yeah. and work. Is Morbury your favorite character to write for? It, everyone, I mean, 
I love writing for each and every one of these characters. Moira, I think, is the most challenging, mainly because there's always a thesaurus open. Mm -hmm. She, the way that she thinks, the way that she acts, the way that she handles herself um, are so sort of off the beaten path, sort of. Her brain works in ways yeah. that most people... Not still, normal dialogue. No. Yeah. Um, which is great. I mean, it, it, it challenges you to, to think way outside of your own impulses as a writer. Um, it's, yes. I mean, it's so... And also, just, just getting to write something and know that Catherine is approving it and saying it is such a gift. I mean, her... her all the performances are great, but just watching her do it, it looks like she's having so much fun. Yeah. I, I mean, it seems the role of a lifetime that you've given her. It is. I think the great thing is she, it's it's a culmination of a lot of things. I think for her, she gets to play. She gets, we you know, the, the character gets to go through such highs and such lows, and we throw her into all these different situations, situations that nobody but Catherine could do. Yeah. So as a writer, it is such a gift because she is so, she is such a chameleon and has the ability to conceptualize reactions that are so outside the box that even as a writer putting it on the page, I don't know what she's going to do with it. Mm -hmm. And she elevates everything we write into this sort of stratosphere of, of sort of O'Hara-ism that only she can do. Yeah. Um, and it's a, it's a masterclass in comedy getting to watch her work. And her, her character, it's so specific and you've done such a good job of the consistency of that character. Cause I could see, other shows possibly seeing her go in these wild directions, but she's contained very, like she, you have a very specific idea of this character and how much, you know, the, the underlying heart that she has, like she, she's not a mean person no. at all. No, she's never mean. No, but she, but she, she's been coddled in the entertainment industry a little <laughs> too long. I think yeah. she thinks about herself a lot, which ultimately we all do really yeah. deep down, maybe not quite as much, but, for her, I mean, the challenge as a writer's room is, this is a character that does wakes up every morning not wanting to be in this town. So say she joins an a cappella singing group. How do you get someone who is so reluctant to participate to participate? How do you get her to join town council? Mm -hmm. How do you get her to do all these things that as a character she would never normally do? And I think that's been the greatest gift and challenge to us as writers is to think about ways to push this person deeper and deeper into the town, despite her reluctance. Mm -hmm. um, Annie Murphy is such a find. Like, uh, she, she's been one of the big surprises as I was watching this over a couple of seasons, just how talented she is. It yeah. kind of snuck up on me in a way. I love the relationship between David and Alexis. Mm -hmm. There, there's tension, there's animosity, but there is there's genuine affection. Like they seem to really just enjoy each other, pushing each other's buttons and everything. Yeah. One thing I noticed about them is they communicate with their hands a lot, both of them. Was that a choice that you guys came up with together? How did that sort of evolve? I, there is a strange familial intimacy that we've had from the very beginning. There's been there was no from when she auditioned to when she was cast, to when we shot our first scene, it has always felt like in a strange cosmic way that we have known each other long before we have. Uh, and the great thing about, I think, not having any fears as acting partners is that you can, in a way, adapt to, you know, 
at times I mimic her hand, sort of <laughs> Tyrannosaurus Rex arms that she yes. does, and she mimics what I do in the same way that I think siblings do. And and they're also cooped up in this motel room, living as adults in a one room, <laughs> single beds across. From I have to remind myself sometimes. It's like holy but shit, they're adults, right? Yeah, <laughs> this is not a normal situation. <laughs> but it's in a way they've been given a childhood that they've never had. They've been mm -hmm. given an, a, a second lease on family that they've never experienced. And I think, despite outwardly sort of hating it, there is a safety and a comfort, especially considering that they've lost all their money and it, they've gone through extreme trauma, these people, uh, that the family at its core living so closely, for most people would be a nightmare. And I think for these people, turn, it turns out to be sort of a blessing. Um, but again, with Annie's character, that was always the trajectory. It was just the slow burn of getting the audience to know who she was before, mm -hmm. to allow for the payoff that we can sort of build to in season four. Yeah. I think if we didn't have her, you know, being slightly more superficial for those first two seasons, people wouldn't care right. in the same way that they do now. Right. So my biggest pet peeve, I think in terms of just as a television watcher, is when I'm watching TV and characters change for the sake of storytelling. Like we need to get this person yep. here, so let's just, I know they normally wouldn't go on this trip, but why don't we just put them on the trip so that we can get them there? That to me, as a loyal viewer of sort of appointment television, I have to, I, I get pulled out of the show because I'm asking myself, well, why would they do that? Why is this character in this mm -hmm. situation? So as a story, sort of as a, as a story, I, I think we almost go above and beyond to try and make sure that every decision that is made by these characters is something that is rooted in what they want and pl seemingly plausible. Yeah. Because I think the minute you sort of throw someone out on a ledge where they'd norm never normally be, the audience, even as in a subliminal way, is thinking, hmm, that's sort of weird. Why are they? And then they're not focused on the story. They're focused on why that character would be doing what they're doing. Right. Does that make sense? It does. It does make sense. And, and sort of in re related situation, David and Patrick, that relationship, I feel like on any other show, that would have been maybe stretched out a couple seasons, mm -hmm. like the will they or won't they, blah, blah, blah. And, you, they came together relatively quickly, mm -hmm. uh, and was did was there an impulse? Was there a, a a feeling amongst maybe the other writers where we need to drag this out more? This is you know the, let's take advantage of this tension and play it out more of like what you did with Ted and Lexus, right? Uh, I think the Patrick David thing almost was. I mean, I had always known that by the end of season four they would be in a very good place. And that the end of season three was setting up David to have a boyfriend. Um, I think in a way, it, our thought, thoughts were not necessarily on the relationship, but rather David has gone through so much as a person, like let's give him someone now to sort of change him. And we're, we're able now to peel back the layers on David mm -hmm. in ways that we were never able to do before because he needed someone, he needed that safe space, that intimate space to start revealing sides of himself. So it was more to, to get David to a place where he could open up rather than let's make this about the relationship. Because to me, it, you know, the will they won't they is, is always fun to write, but I find for an audience, it does get to a point where you're like, 
you're just dragging us along for yeah. ratings at this point. Let's be honest. Mm -hmm. Every episode's a cliffhanger, will they, won't they? So as a challenge to the room, we said, well, let's just do what would naturally roll out here. We don't need to drag it out because if we have stories to tell, and I also really like the stories that we tell as, for them as a couple. I never felt the impulse to tease because I think there's fodder there for a, a successful uh, relationship. There's so much sort of nuance in the, the first sort of beginning stages of these two people who have come from very different backgrounds navigating life together. Um, and that was really sort of fun and, and interesting to, to play with. Um... And I, what was my next question? I had to ask something I wanted to ask about that. Oh my God. I knew that David had grown when he apologized to Patrick via lip sync, that performance. Like I was like, holy, <laughs> this is, this is incredible. He has so grown and he's being vulnerable and all that. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about that scene. Okay. Uh, was the actor in you trying to talk the writer in you out of giving you that scene? Oh, so... I knew when we had hired Noah, who is such a gem. He's great. And has done such incredible work on the show. I mean, our, the whole cast just has has really eaten up everything they've been given in, in such There was no ways. weak link on that show. It is such a special group of people. Um, but I had always known that Noah could sing. And I thought, well, we have to give him something because it's such a special sort of skill to write in as mm -hmm. a character. So I didn't want to do the sort of say anything approach of like putting the boom box outside the room, but I did think it could be a great uh, tool to sort of create a romantic gesture via song. Um, and so we were thinking about doing this open mic idea and having Patrick sing to David because as a, as a, a person, I don't like when people sing at me. I find it very cringy. So I don't. awkward. It's so awkward. Especially with people around you, yeah. watching you. And I have How's he reacting to being sung to? Exactly. It's horrible. And I've had like friends of mine who have gone on dates, like, you know, a girlfriend of mine went on a date and he like sang to her in the car and she couldn't get out of the car and the whole thing was so, so I thought we could be playing that up with the character of David who like really the prospect of being sung at is like, <laughs> the deepest, darkest parts of his, like, fear, fear sort of suitcase. Yeah. Um, but then for it to be this lovely gesture, mm -hmm. uh, we thought could be a really interesting device. Uh, and I in, had always admired the lyrics of Simply the Best. Anytime I listened to it, it was like, it would be on it like a bar or something, and people would be having the drinks, and I would be listening, and I would be like, this song is so romantic, don't you? Can you just stop? Could we stop and listen? Anyway, I knew the lyrics were so special, and I asked Noah to, you know, if he would prepare a version of this, an acoustic sort of romantic version. And he said, "Sure, let me run, let me run with it and see what happens." And he sent me what he ended up performing on the show mm -hmm. as a little MP3 um, one night, and I was, I was like, "Oh, it came in from Noah. I'll just play it." Burst into tears and was like, "This is the most beautiful, far surpassing all of my expectations." And we thought as we were writing, wouldn't it be great? if Patrick saying this to David and then David having sort of not navigated the, the sort of fight that they had very well, if he was forced to do something in return. Mm. And that's where the lip sync idea came from because it was something that was so out of his comfort zone, something that was so showy and uh, in a way liberating for someone who has never wanted to be that free. Um, 
we thought that could be a great thing. And then it came time to shooting it, and I was like, oh, fuck. Um, <laughs> that's right, I play David. <laughs> that's right. Uh, and I, I showed up on set that day. I hadn't rehearsed anything. I had sort of gone over the song for lyrics to learn the lyrics the night before. Um, and we were about 45 minutes away from shooting it, and I turned to Noah, and I was like, I'm just, I don't know. I've never, I hadn't, I don't dance. I don't perform in that capacity. I don't know what I'm doing. I had uh, one of the PAs run out and grab a bottle of Prosecco, and Noah and I drank a bottle of Prosecco, and I walked in to set and did that on half a bottle of Prosecco. Okay. And that was the sort of the major take. We, we used primarily that take. Okay. Um, and I don't know what came over me. I don't know what it was. It was what it was. And I remember walking away from it thinking, my career could be okay. <laughs> or maybe there's something okay here. But our director came out after we had shot the scene and he was crying. And I remember thinking like, oh no, this is so, it's supposed to be funny. This is supposed to be like a funny thing. And he was like, no, it's not funny. It's like really special. Yes. And so for the longest time, I was like, I don't think I did this right. I don't want this to be like a tearful moment. But now that I see it in the context of the show, I understand how for an audience, watching that character go so far outside of himself for his partner yes. could be perceived as like an, a very emotional thing. Yeah, I'm so glad um, you took the risk because it was a great moment for the character and for that relationship. Thanks. It won't be happening again, but I'm, <laughs> but I'm glad it's there. Uh, let me just here uh so there wasn't too much so i love the dynamic also between david and stevie mm -hmm. they're so great i feel like season four we didn't get a lot of, mm -hmm. of that um in fact she she's sort of gravitating more toward johnny mm -hmm. like in that sort of dynamic did you miss working with her i always miss working with her but emily and i are really close friends behind the scenes mm -hmm. um it was important i think to have her be a business person and to have her work with Johnny because I think what we were hoping to do was create a sort of father-daughter dynamic that she has never had before. Um, and I think that has come through in really special ways with them. Like he's protective of her and I think whether she lets on or not, she's really relieved and happy that she has someone to help her run this business. And I think that's what made, we have this scene where we go to a hotel the two of us after I get in a fight with Patrick, we stay at this like honeymoon suite oh, yes. at, this, <laughs> at, the, at this hotel and everyone thinks we're married and it's a whole thing. Um, it creates, those moments were made to, to be even more special because we never get to see them together. Right. And also, you know, coupling her with Patrick making fun of David is a dynamic that I really like a lot. And mm -hmm. we do a lot of in, in season five as well. Um, but they will always be there for each other. It was interesting. So the season ended on episode 12, but there's 13 episodes. Yes. So there's when was the decision made to take this Christmas episode, this what I guess was mm -hmm. the original finale, and make it a standalone special? Uh, as, a, as a television fan, I love a Christmas special. I look forward to the Christmas specials. During Christmas time. During Christmas time. Yeah. And I think, you know, it... it we, you know, it's a 12 episode season, but I think hopefully the payoff of that Christmas, the holiday episode in December, 
will help bridge. It'll, you know, you get an episode and then we're back in January. Right. So in a way it acts as a little bridge to what's coming next. And it's a really special episode that I co-directed. Oh, real First one? The first one. Wow, who did you co-direct with? Uh, my friend from film school, Andrew wow. Cividino, who's a great filmmaker, and uh, I asked him if he wanted to come and direct the episode with me, and the two of us did it. It's a, it's a really fun, it's a really fun episode, and I'm really excited. I, part of me wanted to share it now, mm -hmm. but we thought I think the payoff, given the holiday season, might be a little more fun. It's kind of crazy that we haven't witnessed Christmas at Chips Creek, because that seems like that would be a whole it phenomenon. Would. Yeah. I think the focus was to keep everything sunny and bright. We don't need to tell the dark months where everyone's <laughs> upset and angry. Right. Keep it light and keep it happy. But this is a, you know, I think we ran with the tropes of what you would want from a Christmas episode. As a, as a writing team, we tried to like create a classic standalone Christmas episode that, you know, fans of, of the, you know, of the genre of holiday specials will like. Mm -hmm. And we also might get to see more of their past life. Which brings me to my last question mm -hmm. is, well, a couple things. First off, we have to fucking see Moira on her soap opera. We have to see, mm -hmm. I need to see a couple scenes from that mm -hmm. soap opera. Can you confirm or deny whether I will get what I want? Uh, you will, season five has a lot of fun Moira things for hopefully fans of the show, that we will be... The first episode of season five is a very special, fun... Um... <laughs> Choosing your words very carefully. <laughs> uh, performative okay. uh, event. Yes. I can't... Yeah, that's all I'm all saying right. at this point. Uh, well, Jen will. The answer is yes. We have to. I mean, it's, I think before the show is done, yes, we need to see that Sunrise Bay is is stuff of legend. Yeah, we need to we even need to if go it's just there. a cold open where we see uh -huh. a scene, something. Yeah. Um, but just sort of generally speaking about flashbacks, I feel like there's might be an opportunity there to see what they were like for an episode, um, what they were like before this all happened. Because we really in the house in the mm -hmm. are, do you have any interest in exploring? That I I would imagine come December you might get a little bit of that. Oh, okay, Christmas old. I mean, you sort of want to see what it looked like. Yeah, the Christmas parties. Yes, absolutely. David and Moira have a you know it's we've already shown the Christmas medley oh that they God. performed. Yeah, I think we need to hash that at some point. Maybe who knows? But uh, yeah, I think there'll be there'll be some times of your. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, yeah. Theoretically? I think so. Yeah, we might get to go back to the past for a little bit. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Dan, thank you so much thank for coming. Thank you so much in. for this having me. Awesome. Thanks.